I don't have a super long message this morning, but I want us, um, I was praying about what to speak on this week, and I had this really awesome idea, humility at the table, I was working on it, then I got to Thursday, and it was very clear that I didn't need to preach it. And as I was looking back through my notes, the Lord was like, you need to do the the Lord's table part two. The Lord's table part two. So if you were not here last week, which I can already tell you is probably quite a few of you, go back and watch that message because it is really central to what we're doing right now. Um, We've taken communion every Sunday and we're not doing it because it's a religious thing that we just like to do. We're doing it because we, every time that we do it, it has power. Oh, we're going to get there if you weren't there. All right. But as, as a body, this season, we are stepping into a season at the table. If you've been here for any length of time this year, we've been in a conversation about the table. We've talked about the table that the Lord prepares before us in the presence of our enemies from Psalm 23, 5. We talked about how Jesus dined at the table with sinners, tax collectors, those that were oppressed, those that needed healing, those that were outcasts. He actually went to their table, sat down with them, shared a meal with them, and it offended the religious leaders because Jesus was like, these people need me. So we've been in a season at the table. We've been in a season of even um, with our micro church, our amazing small groups that I want to encourage you to be involved in if you're not. We're in a season of even kind of a transition to table groups. And micro churches are amazing, so we're not doing away with it. What we're doing is building on it. We're stepping into more with the emphasis and the focus of the table. Okay, so that's an encouragement to you to step into that. So this is something that we've been doing. We've been establishing a corporate table. Sometimes I wish this wasn't a stage, but it it looked more like a table. Because I think sometimes we can be very stage where we just spectate. I heard a quote by, uh, I've said this already in, in a message earlier, but from Nate Edwardson. He says, the future of the church will not be gathering around stages, but tables. That's the reality. And I want you to see this as a table, which means we're all participating. We're all involved this morning, okay? All right, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 11. And we're going to be starting, I'm going to go ahead and read the full thing. So we're going to start in verse 23. This is Paul. And he says this, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And if you have your Bible, I want you to underline verse 26. For as often. 
And next to that, in the margin, you can write, what does that mean? Often. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to spend the entire message today focused on one verse, and it's that verse. I don't have a three-point message. I have a one-point message, okay? What's the one point? Your mandate is to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All right, we, no, I'm just kidding. We can all go home now. No. No, I, I'm going to unpack that a little bit, but the reality that Paul is saying here is that as often as we do this, we are making a proclamation of the death of Jesus, and we are to actually proclaim it. Not just sit back and do it. Every time you partake, you receive his body and his blood, you are making a statement. You're making a proclamation, okay? All right. I don't have time to necessarily spend a lot of time looking back, but we talked last week about what his body represents. We talked about how his body gives us freedom from our offenses. It helps and brings healing from pain. Uh, Spiritual and physical healing is found in his body. This is coming from Isaiah 53. We looked at the statement that we read, which is that I receive that your body, because of what your body went through, my body can be made whole. Come on, that's good news this morning. All right, then we talked about the blood. What does the blood represent? The new covenant. In my blood, what's the new covenant? That he made you alive together with him. He forgave all of your trespasses. That's Colossians 2.13. So instead of looking at the dead things, we can look at the life that we have in him. His blood canceled out the certificate of debt against you, including decrees made against you. So how do we battle? We battle with his blood, by the blood. So we said, what does the blood speak? It says that we are protected by his blood, reconciled by his blood, justified by his blood, forgiven by his blood. We are no longer under the curse of the law because of his blood. We are confident because of his blood. His blood redeems us, it brings us near, it cleanses us, and it allows us to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. A few of you got that. That's good. Listen to this. This is a statement we read last week. My sins have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. I, that's personal, that's good news, I have been made righteous by his blood. I am cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I have no veil or separation between myself and Jesus because his blood has brought me near. I am justified, redeemed, and reconciled by his blood. I have protection and covering because of his blood. I overcome the enemy and evil by his blood. I am confident because of his blood. This is what his blood has done, and so by faith I receive it. All right, that was the recap. Verse 26, you can go ahead and throw that up there, Nathaniel. Thank you. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. 
We already read the rest of 23 through 26. Uh, Paul, 23 through 25, Paul is mostly quoting what Jesus said, yes? Okay. And I love what Michael Miller says. He says, the beginning of this is Paul quoting Jesus, verse 26 is Paul's revelation. So Paul's revelation is that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the new revelation is that by receiving and partaking of the Lord's table, you are making a proclamation. It's the death of Jesus. It's what he did for us. It's that every time we do this, we are making a statement. But I want to camp out here this morning that proclaiming also means not keeping it to yourself. When you look in the Greek, the word proclaim, and I'm going to butcher this if there's any Greek scholars in the room, is the Greek word katangelo. I actually think that was fairly decent. Okay. And that word means this, to announce. If I'm announcing something, is that staying with, just with me? No. To declare. It even says this, to make known, to proclaim publicly. That's what that word means. So the Lord's table isn't just for those of us that know the gospel. It isn't just for for those of us that have the ability to remember because we know him. It is also for those that do not yet know him. I'm not saying that unbelievers should partake of communion, so please let's not go there, okay? But communion is for us as believers, but because we have been brought near How are we proclaiming this message to bring others near? What are we proclaiming? We are making a proclamation every time that we proclaim his death until he comes. We are making a proclamation to a world that is in desperate need of a savior. We are making a proclamation to a world that doesn't know their identity. We are making a proclamation to a world that doesn't know that they can have their hearts healed. It is a proclamation to a world that doesn't know how to access true lasting freedom. It is a proclamation to a world that has in many ways set themselves against him. That there's grace, there's mercy, and there's forgiveness at his table. So come, let me reveal to you through the Holy Spirit, the Lord's table, his body and his blood that was purchased for you. It's a proclamation. Here's the announcement. You need freedom? The Lord's table. You need forgiveness? The Lord's table. You're struggling. You need grace? The Lord's table. The table is prepared. It's his table. You're already sitting there. Now bring someone to the table. Who are you bringing to the table? So the Lord's table is like a declaration of independence, only instead it's a declaration of dependence. We like to talk a lot about independence. And listen, I I love freedom and independence and all these things, but I think we can get so wrapped in that that it actually ends up creating a culture where we're so worried about ourselves 
we're so worried about other things. Instead, Jesus is like, become more dependent, not more independent. Become more dependent. And when we approach the Lord's table and we proclaim his death until he comes, one thing that we're proclaiming is that we can't do life without his table. We're proclaiming that I am dependent on the body and the blood of Jesus. What he has purchased, as I remember it, it gives me the ability to move forward now and in the future because I'm dependent upon it. We mentioned this last week, and I don't have time to go in this, but in verse 30, Paul even says that many are weak, sick, and dying. Because we are not judging the body, meaning we're, we're eating from things we don't need to necessarily be eating from when we need to be at the Lord's table. All right, so what are we doing? We're proclaiming our dependence upon Jesus. And we're proclaiming that he didn't just do it for me, but for you. And so what we're doing is we're declaring to a world that is so independent We're saying it's time to move away from independence and to dependence upon a Savior and a Lord that died, rose again so that you could have life in him forever. All right, so how do we proclaim it? Your life proclaims it. Your words proclaim it. Your decisions, your family, your marriage. The reality of what God has done in your life is constantly shouting, Look at Jesus. Look at him. So what is, what is one way that we proclaim? We testify. We testify. And I want to really encourage you this morning. As I looked at the word proclaim, that word cat and gelo, uh, it's found in 1 Corinthians 2.1, which says this. And when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come as someone superior in speaking ability or wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. It's also found in Colossians 1, verse 28, where he says this. Paul says, we proclaim him. I love that. Admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom. Why do we do this? so that we may present every person complete in Christ. Paul even goes on in verse 29, he says, this is the reason I am laboring and striving according to his power which works mightily in me. We don't like to use the word striving here, I get it. No rest, striving. What's Paul saying? He's saying, this is my mandate. And when Paul says that he labors and strives, it's laboring and striving for the gospel. And what that looks like is not just sitting back, but it looks like actively bringing people to the table so that they know that, they, that we could present every person complete in Christ. There's a lot of people that need to be in this room this morning. There's a lot of people that need to be in your microchurch table group this morning. There's a lot of people that need to be in your home eating dinner with you so that they can see Jesus. And I believe that part of the reason I decided to do part two today is because I believe that we are in a season of harvest. I believe that we are in a season of harvest. And as we've started this conversation of the table, 
Part of it is because we need to make room at the table. It's time to make room at the table because there are people, and I'm seeing it happen all over the earth right now. There is a hunger and there is a desperation for something that is real. There is a hunger and there's a desperation. Even what happened at Asbury, what's been happening at college campuses across the U.S., it's a hunger for the reality of a real man that died on a real cross so that you could have freedom, life, wholeness, eternal life, that you could walk as a son and a daughter in righteousness so that you could actually experience wholeness. And so the reality is, is we proclaim, we announce it because it's time for people to come to the table. It's time. There's one thing I came to tell you this morning. It's make room at the table. Make room. There's a seat next to you right now. And if there's an empty chair next to you, who's that chair for? Who needs to be in here to encounter Jesus? Not because we care about numbers, but because we care about the fact that every person would come to know Christ. One thing I got really, I got really struck with as I've been reading, I've been going through the book of Acts personally. I love the book of Acts. And as I was reading the book of Acts, I was really struck by something. How often Peter and Paul would testify. Do you notice this? I'll give you some examples. Acts 20. Paul, after he had greeted them, he says he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Acts 22, Paul is having to make a defense before the Jews. It's not the first time, wouldn't be the last time. And what's he doing? He's recounting the encounter that he had with Jesus on the road to Damascus. This is significant. Acts 26, Paul is before King Agrippa in Caesarea, and he begins in verse 12 to do what? Hey, I was on the road to Damascus. I was persecuting Christians. I didn't know what I was doing. All of a sudden, there was this great light. And what happened? I met Jesus. He begins to testify to share his testimony that, guess what, isn't just his testimony. It's the testimony of Jesus. Your testimony is not just your testimony. Because as a believer, your testimony is the testimony of Jesus that is the spirit of prophecy that allows something now to happen through your testimony. Paul says in Acts 17.3, he says that this is, this is his testimony. His testimony had one goal. It's to explain and give evidence that the Christ had to suffer that's the Lord's table, his body and his blood, and rise again from the dead and saying this, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. 
All right, so this is what I came to say. Your testimony is one of the greatest messages you have to preach. And no, I don't care if your testimony is that you were raised in church and you've had a great life. That's a great testimony. Proclaim it. Don't compare your testimony. Don't get lost in your testimony being like someone else's. Oh, man, that one person, like, their testimony is just so good. Mine's kind of just, eh. No. Your testimony is your story. So share your story. And then invite people into it. Sometimes we are trying to figure out how to have enough verses memorized and know enough of what to say when Paul's method was a lot simpler. Proclaim what he's done. Some of us, were so stuck in having it all figured out. And Paul's like, I was on the road to Damascus. For me, that'd be like I was five years old underneath the pew in the back building called the CAC now. I didn't know the Lord. I didn't know what was happening. There was a speaker up there who was beginning to speak, and he began to give an altar call. This is 1995, and I'm laying underneath the pew, and as a five-year-old, I knew, I need Jesus. I knew enough to know I need him. So what happened? I prayed a very simple prayer that changed my life. I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer and change your life. What just happened? I just took a testimony and I created an opportunity for people to meet Jesus in my story. I believe that one of the greatest callings we have is to proclaim your story of what he has done, which then reveals his glory. Your testimony reveals his glory. Like Paul, we all have things. We have a way. It doesn't matter what it looks like. If you are in the room this morning, you're breathing, you got life in your lungs, you know Jesus, guess what? You have a testimony. If you've gotten this far in your life, I guarantee you you have more than one testimony. I bet you have five. I bet you have ten. I bet you could recount ways that he's protected you. I remember one time I got in a really bad car accident. Left it without a scratch. My car was totaled. Why? I believe the Lord protected me. I believe he can protect you. What just happened? Testimony. I remember when I got freedom from a 13-year pornography addiction. And I found freedom not because I was trying to find freedom through self-discipline, but because he freed me because I am free in him. So let me tell you how you can be free of pornography this morning. What just happened? The testimony provides an opportunity at the table to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Oh, I may not be here next week, but I'm going to preach really loud right now. Come on. Come on. I remember when he brought Emily and I through one of the hardest seasons of our life, losing four babies and coming out at the other end, now 38 weeks pregnant, because I know that he's faithful. Let me tell you how he's faithful. He's delivered me out of fear. I used to lay in bed at night, and I used to shake 
literally, as a teenager, in my bed because I was afraid. I remember moments where my heart would begin to beat so fast, I honestly thought I was going to have a heart attack. He delivered me from that. Let me tell you how he can deliver you. Mm. Let me tell you how he's given me peace, how he's given me joy. Joy, let me tell you, as Paul says in Titus, how he is the blessed hope that I look to his return. He's coming back. So my hope isn't found in politics. It's not found in what's happening right now. It's found in a Jesus that transcends all of that, that he's going to return and he's going to redeem everything. Let me tell you about that hope. It doesn't have to be predicated on your circumstances. Faith isn't focused on the outcome. It's focused on a person. If your faith is on an outcome, you're always going to be chasing faith. And you're going to have moments where you're going to be like, I have so much faith because everything's going great. Then you're going to have moments where I don't, I don't have any faith because everything's going great. Everything's going not great. Right? What's the point? Jesus is faith. So our faith is his faith, and it doesn't matter what the outcome is when I'm focused on a person. That was free. So listen to this. He is my greatest testimony. And I'm even more dependent upon him than I have ever been in my life. So this is the simple invitation. Let me tell you what he did for me. Let me tell you what he did for me. What does Paul do in the book of Acts? Let me tell you what he did for me. And then in that, I have the opportunity to then preach the gospel because, and this is really important, listen to this. They can take a lot of things from you, but they can never take your story. They can lock you up in prison, and they cannot take your story. They locked Paul up in prison. What happened? People came to know him in the jail cells. Why? Because you cannot take a man away from his testimony. So in the room this morning, you have a story. Don't let the enemy try to take your story from you. Don't let him quiet you. I remember we were at the Prophetic Reformers Intensive, and Bethany Hicks got up here, and I loved what she said, and I so resonated with this. She said, I was identifying myself as shy. And the Lord began to shift something, and he said, stop saying you're shy. What you're doing is you're identifying with something that is not of the Lord. And the more she began to get out of that and she began to walk in that courage and say, I am confident. I am confident. I am not shy. I am confident. This is who I am. This is who I'm not. She began to walk in her identity as bold and now she's traveling the world calling people into fresh prophetic identity because of a moment she said, I am not shy. Some of you this morning, you need to break off the lie that you're shy. The Lord's table isn't just a table we partake of, but a table we proclaim of. Did you catch that? 
Uh, the Lord's table isn't just a table we partake of. It's a table we proclaim of. You proclaim your identity in Jesus, which invites others to discover their identity in Jesus. Listen, our world desperately needs believers that proclaim and not just maintain. Ouch, right? You know the enemy likes us to stay in our churches? He wants us just to maintain our faith. What are you doing? I'm just maintaining, you know, just walking the Christian life. Cool, who are you bringing with you? I'm just maintaining. You're not called just to maintain, you're called to proclaim. So let's get out of that mindset that I just need to maintain, figure it out for myself all the time, and no, proclaim it. Proclaim it. The Christian faith is not just about mo maintaining it's about proclaiming we aren't called to just put our heads down and keep calm and carry on you're called to proclaim and invite others to have a seat at his table i love the shirt keep calm carry on i like that it's a cute message can i can i tell you something now is not the time to keep calm and carry on. This is not the hour. The more and more, and this is, I'm going to dive into this, and this is where we're going to land the plane. The more and more that we dive into Paul's last phrase, until he comes. What does that mean? Well, it means one thing for sure. He's coming. All morning I've had that song stuck in my head. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds. Shining like the sun, at the perfect call, lift your voice. It's the year of Jubilee, and out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. Come on, let's do that next week. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. Oh, oh, I'm getting excited. So what does that mandate mean? It means there's actually no excuse for keep calm and carry on. Because the hour dictates that we not just keep calm and carry on, but that we go out and make his name known. That we proclaim it, not just maintain it. That you tell your story to reveal his glory. This is the mandate. Because he's coming. Come on. Revelation 19. John's writing and he says this in verse 9. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. What does a wedding feast dictate? I picture a table. I picture Jesus returning fashioning a wedding feast, a table, and you're invited and at that table. 
found this so interesting. I was like, John's, John's language here is the language of a table that we can feast with the Lord for all of eternity. So Jesus shared a meal with his disciples right before he was to die at a table. He rose from the dead, and on that same day, he broke bread at a what? A table. Guess what he's returning to do? Fashion a table. Are you catching the conversation? The table is significant. Why? It's central to our walk with Jesus. And I believe that as we come to the table, our role is to proclaim this message until he comes. Until he comes. He's coming. Listen, I don't have time to dive into a lot of particulars about what that looks like because everybody's got an opinion. There's a lot of ennialisms. Amillennialism, premillennialism. There's a lot. And it's good for you to kind of know what you're talking about with those, but what's the bottom line? We don't know the day or the hour. We don't know the day or the hour. And there's been a lot of prophets over the years that have attempted to tell you the day or the hour, and we're already past the day or the hour that they prophesied. Why? Because anytime you hear a prophetic word about the exact day or the hour, you need to realize that prophetic word is contradicting Scripture which says that we don't know the day or the hour. I know, I just killed a few people that are on YouTube. They're on their prophetic channels. Listen, I really think this is important because there's a lot of words about doom and gloom and this is gonna happen. We need to find it in here, undergird with this, okay? Remember Y2K? You know, that was like one of those moments where it was like, the end is near, you know? We all thought the electricity was going to turn off, and then my dad purposely turned off the electricity, so we thought that it did, you know? We had Y2K at our house. We did. We had Y2K at our house. We did. Oh, man. Yeah. I don't know how to get out of that one. Yeah. Forgiveness, grace, in time of need. Listen, my point is that we don't know the day or the hour, but I think we just about all feel that it is drawing nearer. And I think it's important that we not spend our time so focused on the when. That's my point, okay? Can I get a point out? <laughs> it's not just the when, it's about the mandate heaven to earth. Let's proclaim it. Let's proclaim it. Let's reveal his story and his glory through our story. Let's proclaim it and not just sit back and say he's returning on March 21st, 2023, and instead go, we don't know when he's returning, so I'm going to spend all of my days proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. I I really believe that this is a mandate for us as a house. I really believe that the Lord has us in a season of harvest. 
And if you're coming and this is your first time here, I want to say welcome. This is a mandate for this house that there's an opportunity for you to come in and for you to encounter Jesus and then transform cities. The transforming cities doesn't just happen if we just stay in here. It happens because we proclaim his death until he comes. We proclaim his death until he comes. Until he comes. I love the tension of like, he's coming. Not yet. He's coming. Not yet. It's a beautiful tension. And we can't just be stuck in one. Not yet. Okay, so let's just kind of chill, you know. All right, not yet. No. He's coming. So let's get ready. People get ready. Right? Revelation 19 also talks about the bride preparing herself for his return. We're getting ready for the return of Jesus. So it's getting ready. He's coming. Not quite yet. Okay, let's do both. He's coming. Let's proclaim it. Not yet. We still have time to bring people into the table. Hallelujah. Let's keep going. He's coming. Not yet. Yeah, let's keep going. I think you guys got the point. It's what Paul wrote in Titus chapter 2 when he says, we look to the blessed hope of his return. So how do we call other people into the blessed hope? That is really, really important that we do that. So the Lord's table, Paul is saying, the statement that we are making is for you, but it is also to announce. So your life, what he's done, what his body and his blood did for you is making a public declaration that you are the Lord's. You are Jesus. And so now you get the opportunity until he comes to make that declaration publicly to everyone around you. And we get to declare our story and reveal his glory. Amen. All right, let's stand. I really want you this morning to I really want you to take on the mandate that I believe he's stepping in us into which is a season of harvest. We're about to have a worship in the city on March 31st. We spend resources at Convergence to this because we are uniting churches together, but also because people are coming, they're being set free, they're coming to know the Lord. We've had people baptized at these events. These are events that allow us to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we do this, we're also saying Jesus is healer. We just talked about that last week, his body was broken, was pierced, so that his wounds, by his wounds, you are healed, Isaiah 53 says. And I just believe this is a season to not just sit back and to be comfortable at our tables. 
but to invite people to the table. We are inviting people to the table. And I also really want to encourage you, if you don't know how to start, just tell him about what he's done for you. Look at what he's done. I was on the road to Damascus, and then all of a sudden there was a bright light. I was on the road to continuing to be stuck in this addiction, and then all of a sudden there was a bright light. I was on a road to this, and all of a sudden I heard somebody say, if you want to know Jesus, just, just pray this after me. And I was like, yes, that's me. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. And that opportunity was the moment that my life was never the same. It's also a moment that I don't want other people's lives to be stuck. I want them to experience the transformation that I have found through the body and the blood of Jesus on the cross. So Lord, we thank you. And right now, I just even, I thank you that you are breaking shyness off your church. You're breaking shyness, Lord. This thing that says, well, we don't really know. We don't really trust our story. We, no, bold and courageous. Lord, I thank you that the proclamation of our story is proclaiming your glory. And so this morning, Lord, I, I, we break off timidity. We break off fear of inviting people to our table. And right now, we thank you that you're coming, but not yet. Which means that there's still time for the billion soul harvest. It means that there's still time for people to come to know you. It's not, it's not finished yet. He's coming, but not yet. So Lord, I ask you that we would step into the mandate that Paul said is revelation, which is, I am gonna proclaim the death of Jesus until he comes. And I, I just bless convergence right now. I bless our tables to be tables of encounter, to be tables where there's healing, to be tables where there's freedom, to be tables where there's reconciliation, to be tables where there's redemption. I thank you that our tables are not just good tables to eat at. They're instruments of encounter with a living God. So, Lord, we step into our identity as convergence this morning, that we are here to encounter him, yes, but to transform cities with his power and his love. And I just thank you for the season of harvest, for the season of fresh wind. Thank you for the season of fresh wind that is blowing over convergence right now. And as we've been doing for the last few weeks, Lord, we cry out for rain in a season of rain. And we say there's more. There's more, Lord. There's more, Lord. I ask you for more for every household represented here. I ask you for more for every marriage here, relationship, Lord. We thank you that there is more, that you are not done yet, that you are building your church and the gates of hell cannot overcome it. We thank you that you are moving in this hour. 
would you show us how to move with you, how to proclaim with you, how to step with you. Jesus, thank you for the harvest, Lord. We thank you for the harvest, Lord. We thank you that there is a culture and there is a world that is crying out for answers that we have. They're crying out for something that's real, that's found in the gospel of the good news that we carry. Allow us to release that, Lord. Give us opportunities. I'm going to stretch you by this next prayer, but if you want in, just say yes. Lord, I ask. I ask for opportunities this week. This week. Some of you, you don't know what you just said yes to, but that's good. Say yes. We thank you for opportunities this week. Opportunities in the store. Opportunities at the gas station. Opportunities at work, Lord. Opportunities to proclaim your death until you come. And this this week, we ask you for people that are going to come to know the Lord. We ask you right now for prodigals that are going to come home. We thank you right now for people that are going to be healed, set free. This week, Lord. This week. I ask you this week that there's significant breakthrough this week. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Wow. He's good, isn't he? Yeah, I, I really just keep feeling like there's something really being activated right now. You know, what's the table Jesus is coming back for? It's the wedding feast, right? And what does he say about the wedding feast? Literally, you are an invitation to the wedding feast. And, and there's been a message that's been pounded in of nobody wants to hear it. Nobody cares. Everybody's too busy. Don't invite people to church because you're going to offend them somehow. That's not the word of the Lord. What did God say? When people were invited to the wedding feast and they were too busy to come, did he say, okay, stop inviting because people don't care? Mm. That's not what he said, right? What did he say to do? Keep inviting. (laughs) He said, go find the ones who do want to come. Go find the ones that are hungry. He said, keep inviting. And I feel like something's being activated right now in us this morning to just extend an invitation to encounter Jesus. This room is a table. You can extend an invitation just to come to church. That's not an outdated thing that is no longer relevant. That's not true. That's a message and a narrative that's been put out there. It's not true. This is a place where people encounter Jesus. And we are an invitation for people to come and encounter Jesus. And if one person you talk to isn't interested, then go find another one. Right? Yes. That's so good. Hey, the last thing, I had one more thing on my heart really quickly. I feel like I I can't move on until I do this. Um, In the prayer room this morning, I, I heard the verse out of Psalm 40. 
He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. And I want to do one more thing really quickly, and that is if you are in the room this morning and you feel like you have been walking on quicksand, like it's been a season that's had a lot of struggle, it's been a difficult season, I want you to come to the front and I want to pray because I believe that the Lord is going to set your feet on a rock. minutes. I said this earlier this morning. One of the things that we do here at Convergence is we lift each other up. We lift each other up, but obviously the one that's really lifting us up is the Lord. And he's the one that can set your feet on a rock so that you can stand firm. And the prayer that we had in in the prayer room was really that the Lord is going to set people's feet on firm foundation. And do you know what the next verse says? He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So I want us to do this really quickly, just as a family. Um, If I could invite, if we have any of our table group pastors or staff in the room, if you guys could come up and just... What, what I saw was this picture of, if you're up front, I want you to just hold your arms up. And the picture that I saw was out of Exodus. It was Aaron and her lifting up Moses' arms in the battle so that his arms wouldn't fall. And so I just, if we don't have enough people, if, if, if some of you want to just come join, if there's not, we have a, quite a few people up here. And just find somebody's arm and hold on to it. Okay, this is a prophetic declaration that we are holding up your arms in this season. And Lord, we do. We pray that prayer, Lord. We thank you that you are setting right now. You are setting each of these feet on a rock where it's felt like sand. I ask you that the foundation would be firm, that they would see you as establishing the firm foundation underneath their feet so that they can stand even in the moment of difficulty, Lord. And right now, as a body, as a church family, we say we will hold your arms up. If you're watching online, just lift your arms up. We're with you. Just hold your arms up. We are lifting up your arms in this season as a prophetic declaration of the next verse which says he's going to put a new song in your mouth he's going to put a new song in your mouth so we thank you for the fresh song for the fresh dreams for the breakthrough lord and right now we just hold up your arms and we say lord would you establish their feet on a firm foundation that many will see and trust in you and put their trust in the lord We thank you that our trust is not in anything other than you, Lord. Some of you, if you're up here just with circumstances, you may need to just make that declaration. Lord, I choose to put my trust in you. I choose to put my trust in you. Even in a season when it feels like that trust has been tried by trial. I put my hope and my trust in you, Lord. 
And I believe that you can set my feet on a firm foundation this morning. That you can set my marriage, my relationship, my job, my finances. You can set my body, for some of you, it's healing. You can set my body on a firm foundation. You can set my bank account on a firm foundation. We thank you, Jesus. We just thank you, Lord. We thank you for the new song. Lord, we just thank you as a church, Lord. We thank you for how you're undergirding us. Lord, even though I'm aware of many different situations, even this year where there's been a lot of trial. And so, Lord, we acknowledge that, but we say we trust you. And we as a church family, we lift up the arms of those in our congregation, in our family, and we say we're with you. And we are making a declaration that the Lord is going to establish our feet on a firm foundation, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, right now, I just feel there's this opportunity to step into something. So right now, where it's felt like it's been sand underneath our feet, I thank you that as the firm foundation, as we see you establishing that foundation, that there's fresh wind blowing in our lives. So right now, we thank you for the wind of the Spirit that is blowing over families, over each individual right now up front, Lord. That your fresh wind would blow, Lord. That it would blow away disappointment. That it would blow away trauma. That it would blow away things that need to go, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We put our trust in you. We put our trust in you. hearing this phrase, and I just want to release it. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. It's time to war from identity. You're a warrior. You're a warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. (laughs) The Lord is with you. bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. Give you peace. Thank you, Lord. You're up front. I just want to encourage you to stay. Stay just receiving and keep praying. Lord's really doing a lot right now. 
go. If you need prayer, come up as well. We'd love to pray with you. We just bless you. If you're up front again, you can stay and just receive. Thanks for coming. We love you guys. We're, We're thankful that you're all here what the Lord's doing right now. Thank you for watching and tuning in online. Thank you, Jesus.